If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 12-12. This is our number one of the World According to Zig podcast for this November 19, 2017. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a true conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. And yes, uh, the world was clearly turned upside down this week. It's been a crazy week, both from a news perspective as well as in my own life. We'll get to as much of it as we can. We're doing three hours again this week. Hour number two is an interview with one of my favorite authors, Gerald Posner who wrote the book Case Closed about the JFK assassination many years ago, but it changed my mind about what really happened. and He might change yours as well. This obviously is the week of the anniversary of the assassination of JFK, which has gotten more attention this year because of all those secret files being released. So that's hour number two. And then hour number three might be <laughs> one of the most interesting hours we've ever done, at least for people who care about the... Penn State, Sandusky, Paterno story, the never-ending saga, uh, because I speak with Jerry Sandusky's college roommate, a guy who roomed with him for two years, not necessarily to get his perspective just on Jerry, but because I believe he is the key to corroborating a bombshell discovery, if you want to call it that, that I think I've come to this week about the true date of the Mike McQueary episode, which was at the epicenter of that entire scandal, both against Penn State and Joe Paterno, as well as Jerry Sandusky. It's just going to blow your mind. And so if you care at all about that story, or even if you care about mysteries and you like uh, detective work, check out hour number three. Uh, But this being hour number one, that's the news hour. And this was a very strange week in a lot of ways. Uh, Bill O'Reilly called me at home this week. I'll I'll get to that. That was odd. Um, I was a guest on Glenn Beck's show, his radio and television show. Uh, You know, you remember Glenn Beck has been a guest on this show. Uh, John Ziegler. I I think he's fantastic. What what an interesting mind he has. Yeah, well, (laughs) I'll get to why I was on Glenn Beck's show and, um, and what was funny about that. And I was also on uh, H&L TV with Carol Costello. I've been on with her one other time a couple months ago to talk about uh, Trump and the NFL. Uh, But I was on this time to talk bizarrely about Al Franken. 
uh, where, I mean, talk about an upside down world. I have now found myself in the position of being maybe Al Franken's fiercest defender, and I despise Al Franken. But that whole story is being, at best, way overblown. And I think he's getting railroaded, and I'll explain uh, why that is. So we'll get to all of that. I got to start, though, since almost everything in the news this time, you know, this week and this month has been about sex abuse, and I'm kind of tired of the topic. I got to start with Trump and these UCLA basketball players because there's been a development literally as we are recording this podcast on Sunday. Uh, I'm presuming most people know that three UCLA basketball players were arrested while in China last week for shoplifting. Now, let me first say, you got to be really dumb. You got to be really dumb. If you're on a basketball trip, you're a scholarship basketball player, and you decide as a group to steal something of value, while on that trip, that is, you know, you got to be, I mean. Idiots! Imbeciles! All right. That's number one. But, and that would be under any circumstances. To do it while in China. <laughs> I mean, you got to really be, I mean, this is not strong enough. Idiots! Imbeciles! Because obviously, you know. There's no due process there like we supposedly have in America, <laughs> at least used to have in America before Twitter got invented. Uh, you know, you, you could become a political football. Uh, it's not exactly North Korea, but there's the specter of their friends in North Korea. What just happened to the American there where the student got, you know, uh, arrested and then came home almost literally in a body bag. I mean, it's so it's a, I mean, just as dumb as it gets. And so Trump, you know, in classic Trump fashion, even when he's trying to do what seems like the right thing, he still, one, makes it all about him and two, screws it all up. Because he he said, uh, you know, he was going to try and get the UCLA basketball players released. And apparently he did that. And what's his first thing that he does? He asks for the UCLA basketball players to thank him. Because that's really what it's all about, right? It's all about praising Trump. That's what Trump does. Everything he does is in his own self-interest. So he literally tweeted out, will they thank me? Which is incredibly unprecedented. <laughs> but we're living in strange times. And the UCLA players, at least one of them I saw, I don't know if all three of them did, but at least one of them did thank Donald Trump and the U.S. government for getting them out of China. And I thought that was going to be the end of it. But no, 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 no. This was too combustible a situation because one of the players is the son of LeVar Bell. Now, if you don't know who LeVar Bell is, he's a complete nut job. He is the father of the guy who was just drafted number one by the L.A. Lakers out of UCLA, after playing one year at UCLA, who's supposed to be the next Magic Johnson. He's got three sons that play basketball, one in pro, one in college, one in high school. And, you know, he basically thinks that all of his sons – he is 
Tiger Woods' dad on steroids. Okay, that, that's basically what LeVar Ball is. And he was, of course, asked about what Trump did, and he gave a very dismissive response, saying, who? Which was typical of LeVar Bell. He, a lot of times he's joking around. A lot of p- times he's pulling people's chain, chains. He's always looking for publicity. And, of course, Trump could not possibly bring himself to taking the high road and he needed to respond to LeVar Bell. Now, why why you need ball, I mean, why you need to respond to LeVar Bell, I have no idea. You are the president of the United States. You do not need to respond to everything, every slight perceived or real from freaking lunatics just because the media reports it. You don't need to do that. But no, this is Trump we're talking about. So Trump actually tweeted a couple hours ago. Now that the three basketball players are out of China and saved from years in jail, which, by the way, might be true, but is a condemnation, one of China. If I'm China, I'm offended by that, that you're presuming that we're going to put people in jail for shoplifting before they've even been convicted of anything. It also presumes at some level that the UCLA players are guilty, which by the way, they very well, very well may be, but they haven't been tried yet. So, you know, you would think there'd be some semblance of respect for due process there. So, so he's throwing China judicial system under the bus. He's throwing the UCLA basketball players under the bus. And then he writes, LeVar Ball, the father of LiAngelo, is unaccepting of what I did for his son and that shoplifting is no big deal. I should have left them in jail! Exclamation point. It's just flat out ridiculous. Really? The President of the United States thinks that him interceding for three U.S. citizens to get them out of a bad spot, which he clearly did because he knew it would be good publicity. Let's be clear. If this was, if this was three nobodies, I, I doubt Trump acts at all. Uh, but this is three high-profile basketball players. They happen to be black, so it's good for him from that perspective. It's great PR. It makes it look like he's doing something. And so now, after having asked for their praise and not getting it in sufficient doses, he is now saying he should have left three U.S. citizens in a Chinese jail because one of their fathers had the audacity to diss him publicly. It's just flat out ridiculous. That's what we're dealing with, folks. That's why Donald Trump is, as I've said numerous times during the campaign, uniquely unsuited, unqualified to be president of the United States. I know it's just a tweet, but these things actually do matter. And it's really revealing about who he really is, what really makes him tick, and why it is he had no business ever coming close to being the president 
of the United States. And of course, his cult will cheer him. And part of the reason they'll cheer him is that these three guys are black. There's absolutely a race angle to it. They love him saving the black kids, not getting the proper respect, and then dissing the black kids back. They love that. No question there's a racial angle. And I, you know, for years and years, I defended conservatism and and the Republican Party against unfair charges of racism. And I can't do it anymore because this president's base has proven time and time again that there's at least some element of racism in what motivates an awful lot of what they do. And this is another example of that. All right. So... So much of what happened this week was in the realm of sex abuse, and it is, in my, it is my opinion that we have now reached the point uh, where we have jumped the shark. <laughs> we have lost our minds. And I just want to go through the week in order here. And you can follow along at freespeechbroadcasting.com because that's where you'll find uh, four new columns that I wrote, all of which at least somewhat dealt with this issue. You'll also be able to find the interview I did on Glenn Beck's show. And you'll also be able to find the uh, television appearance I did on uh, Headline News Television. All uh, of that, as I said, is at freespeechbroadcasting.com. But uh, here's the order. The the first column that I wrote, which got a lot of attention, mainly because, you know, if there's one one thing that I have, if, if I have a niche... My niche is being stupid enough to go where no one else where no one else will go when it comes to calling out stupidity. That I either have the bravery and the courage or the just flat out stupidity to to go where no one else will go and to, you know, say the emperor has no clothes. Although that might not be the right metaphor given the allegations of sexual abuse. I don't know. Somehow there might, that might be inappropriate somehow. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm very confused by what all the new rules are. And that's what my first column was really all about. Hey, hello, we're changing all the rules here. We're changing all the standards when it comes to the media reporting sex abuse. Is nobody concerned about this? And I basically laid out the case that um, since when... Is it perfectly appropriate to, for major news media outlets to report on fairly minor figures, you know, minor celebrities, and sex abuse allegations against them from decades ago where there was no criminal conviction, no criminal charge, not a police report, not a lawsuit uh, making a determination, not a lawsuit being filed, not an, a public television interview with the accuser, no actual evidence that it occurred, nothing. And this makes me exceedingly nervous. And I'll, I think it would make me nervous even if I didn't have my very traumatic Penn State Sandusky paternal experience. But obviously, I see everything within the light of that now. Because I, I know firsthand how these things can get out of hand, and or you know the runaway freight train no one wants to get in front of it no one has the balls to to do that and you know once the media narrative is, is set it's over so i get very nervous about this e- even with people that i don't like 
And that's the weirdest part of this. Is no, I don't think there's anybody. You know, I, I don't really consider myself to be in the media, but I guess I technically am. I write columns for media. I do this podcast. I'm occasionally asked on other shows to do interviews. So I'm marginally in the in, in the media. There's nobody else in the media who ends up defending people they have to stand for more than me, for better or for worse. And the idea that somehow this week it was it was Al Franken and it was also a little bit Bill O'Reilly, which is just crazy because I've been very critical of Bill O'Reilly. And after I wrote this first column about, hey, wait a minute, why are we rewriting all the media standards here? I got an email from Bill O'Reilly's assistant asking if he could call me. I'm like, okay, sure, fine. So Bill O'Reilly calls me. First thing he wants to know is, okay, a couple weeks ago you said that I lied to you. What was that all about? I said, Bill, back when I did my documentary film, Media Malpractice, I had done a poll of Obama voters, which got a lot of publicity. You had me on your radio show, and you said, hey, you should do another poll on McCain voters to see if we can compare the two with regard to their knowledge of issues that were in the campaign. I said to him on the air live, if I do that, will you have me on your television and radio show? He said, yep, sure, no problem. So I went and I spent uh, another chunk of change. I don't know what it was. It was somewhere in the $10,000 range to commission another poll. $10,000 I didn't have to go do this because I knew, all right, one, it would be good for the content of the documentary and the story. But also, you get on the O'Reilly factor in, in that environment after Obama's just been elected and it's going to create a lot of positive publicity for me. That's, so it's definitely going to be worth ten grand. So I did it. The results were tremendous. And I go to O'Reilly's people and I get stiffed. And I get stiffed partially because of the rivalry that they had with Sean Hannity. I mean, they hated each other. Absolutely hated each other. And so if they find out that you're even in contact with Hannity or maybe potentially it was Hannity and Combs at the time, then they're going to, you know, immediately they're going to diss you. And so I got screwed. And he, and he didn't dispute it at all. He, you know, tried to blame it on a producer, which I understand, you know, but I, I don't believe he had nothing to do with it. I mean, because that's, I made it clear to his producer that this had been promised. So my guess is, although I'll never know for sure, that O'Reilly at some point signed off on this. I doubt he remembers it. I said, Bill, I'm sure you don't remember this because I'm a nobody. Anyway, he apologized, and I was like, okay, fine, whatever. I'll take that for what it is. He then proceeded for about 20 minutes in an off-the-record conversation, although he said I could you know, talk about it in general terms, his own situation, which I have been very critical of because, one, I – Never liked the guy. And two, I don't know how you explain $32 million in a settlement, especially given the nature of the, the wording of the settlement. It just doesn't make any sense to me. After speaking with Bill O'Reilly for 20 minutes, and, and I also had an email exchange with Glenn Beck about this, let me tell you this. I am. I think I've proven myself to be incredibly open-minded. In hour number two, I do an interview with a guy who convinced me I was wrong in my initial assessment of the Kennedy assassination. A lot of the reason why I'm still on the Penn State-Sandusky thing is that I was wrong when I presumed that Sandusky was guilty. So I change my mind when given new information. 
I'm not willing to go that far yet with Bill O'Reilly. Let me tell you this, though. I am positive that Bill O'Reilly believes he was railroaded. That doesn't necessarily prove anything, but it's potentially significant. Number two, I'm also positive that there's another side to this story. That the story that we have been given is not the full truth. That there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. That there's a lot of context. And as far as the $32 million, Bill claimed that there's a very good explanation and that it's not accurate, but he can't give it to me. I disputed that. I said, Bill, that doesn't make any sense to me. You should, you know, they broke their agreement by going public with this. So their non-disclosure is is shattered. Why don't you just go forward? He says, because we're going to win in court. I said, well, you got to have a lot more discipline than I do because I'd be screaming bloody murder if I were you, if I had proof that, uh, you know, this is not not what happened because the $32 million was really the, the final nail in his coffin. I will say that, um, and Glenn Beck gave me some good perspective on this because Glenn has been very supportive of Bill, and I think Glenn wanted my opinion on this because I, I think Glenn very earnestly wanted to make sure that, you know, there was nothing that I could bring up that would make him question his support of Bill O'Reilly because he doesn't want to support a bad guy. And Glenn wrote me a very, very extensive email, detailed. And I don't want to get into the into the specifics of it because I don't think Glenn agreed to that. But let me just say in general terms, one of the issues regarding the $32 million, and again, O'Reilly claims that that $32 million is in, is either inaccurate or misunderstood, is that you have to remember that in a negotiation, it's not about what you did. It's about how much leverage you have. And because of the unique circumstances of what was going on at Fox and the firestorm at Fox, the way he describes it, I got to tell you, sounds exactly like what was going on at Penn State with the settlements. They're just throwing money out the door. They're, they're just trying to make everything go away. And I even have a theory, which I did not tell Bill, because I know he didn't agree with it, and I didn't know him well enough to share this, but I shared it with Glenn Beck. I even have a theory that it's possible that Fox News Channel effectively set him up to get rid of him, get rid of his contract, and get rid of him in a way where he could not compete with them. Because he was getting old, and his demographics were getting old, and this was an opportunity. Not unlike, by the way, what happened with Joe Paterno, an institution that was past his prime and old and in the middle of a crisis. It's possible people may have seen an opportunity to get rid of him. I can't prove that. It's just a gut instinct based actually on the way Bill was describing it. But anyway, I think that there's no question that because of that atmosphere at Fox, because he was renegotiating his contract, because he was going through a divorce and a custody hearing involved in that divorce, he was in an extremely vulnerable position. And that this accuser, Liz Wheel, or Weil, who's a lawyer, knew exactly what was going on. She had intimate knowledge of the situation. And as a lawyer, she knew how to use that information. Now, does that add up to $32 million? I'm still very skeptical. But when you got a contract of $120 million, 
at Fox and a $10 million annual publishing deal, and you're fighting for your kids, you know, at least you start to get in the ballpark of maybe you do make that deal if you think that you're going to be able to preserve it all. So, again, I'm not anywhere near there yet. Uh, I need more information. Bill said to keep in touch. I will. I'm, I'm, let me put it this way. I'm all ears. I'm all ears. I, I'm open to a new narrative on the Bill O'Reilly situation. So I then went on Glenn Beck's show. This was before he and I had that email exchange about O'Reilly. And the reason why you should check out the, the Glenn Beck appearance, and you can find it at freespeechbroadcasting.com, is that I tried, I think, effectively to put this whole sex abuse hysteria into proper context by making the argument to Glenn that based upon these new rules, he is incredibly vulnerable to a false allegation of sex abuse. Why? Well, because he, hit, he hits all of the check marks. He hits all of the points now. Let's see. Is he sufficiently famous for people to care? Check. Is he a person who claims to be of high moral character so they can claim hypocrisy? Check. Is he someone who hires and fires lots of people? Check. Then I threw in a little joke there. Did did he recently fire a young woman who is known for her sex appeal? Check. I was referring to Tommy Lahren. I didn't mention her name because I knew that would... (laughs) That would not go over well, but it was clear to Glenn and Stu, his co-host, that they knew where I was going with this. And then I also joked, I said, you know, is he ugly enough so that it wouldn't be presumed that any kind of uh, sexual encounter with an attractive young female must be consensual? Check. Uh, That's that. Those are really the rules now. And that last rule, by the way, is the one that I has gotten the least amount of uh, uh, scrutiny because there is no question, none, if you look at these allegations in the over the last month that have exploded since uh, Harvey Weinstein's story broke, there is no question that the lesser attractive males have gotten far less benefit of the doubt. Far less. It is presumed presumed that any interaction that Harvey Weinstein had, which, by the way, I, you know, that might be a different case because there's a lot of accusers with a lot of very compelling stories. But let's face it, if Harvey Weinstein looked like George Clooney, all those stories would be seen in a very different context. (laughs) Very different. That's the reality. You know, Ryan Seacrest apparently has now been accused. And, you know, E! Entertainment Network is supposedly doing an investigation. Some people, when I tweeted about this, joked, well, was the accuser a male or a female? It's apparently a female stylist. And I think Ryan Seacrest is going to get a pass, unless there's, you know, overwhelming evidence, which I doubt there was, because this was supposedly something that happened 10 years ago. But Ryan Seacrest is good-looking. He's somebody that a lot of women would love to have make a nice pass at them. And so no one's going to believe it. Those are just the rules. I just wish 
people would acknowledge those rules. Okay, there's a different set of rules for ugly guys than there is for good-looking guys. And so I joke with Glenn that his level of attractiveness doesn't get him into the George Clooney, Ryan Seacrest pass area. So that was the first part of the week. Then I uh, wrote a column about Roy Moore. Now, originally I predicted that Roy Moore was still going to win despite all this. But, but I said in that column, that's unless something new comes. Well, something new did come in the form of Gloria Allred and her accuser. Now, you know, frankly, uh, under some circumstances, Gloria Allred representing the accuser of a conservative in Alabama, that's a godsend <laughs> because people in Alabama are automatically going to have a negative reaction to anything Gloria Allred does. Now, this accuser was pretty compelling. You know, she cried and her story seemed to make sense. And it and it was horrible. It was much worse than he's trying to date girls way too young for him. This was an actual sexual assault, a clear sexual assault. And if it's if it's true, Roy Moore doesn't belong in public life. Forget about the U.S. Senate. I don't know if it's true. I don't have reason to necessarily doubt it. But here's the part of the, that story that bothered me the most is the yearbook inscription. Now, I, to me, the yearbook inscription looks real. Allred is doing Roy Moore a favor by tiptoeing around whether or not she's going to allow the yearbook inscri- inscription to be verified. That's like a God, another God. That's a literal, you know, he probably thinks it is from God because that's, as crazy as Roy Moore is, but that's a godsend to Roy Moore. But to me, while there's a few things that are a little bit off about the signature, there's also a long period of time. That's a, that was, this happened almost 40 years ago. So, you know, to me, that signature looks legit. But the part of this that bothered me was so many people automatically bought the idea that an overly friendly yearbook inscription somehow prove this woman's story of sex assault. And I'm like, really? Seriously? And this is definitely where the Sandusky story got, you know, got my antenna up because I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. So are we now setting the precedent that if anybody sends somebody a really nice note, 40 years later, it could be used as proof that that person was assaulted by the person who wrote the note? Seriously. Wow. Boy, that doesn't open up a can of worms. That's not setting any dangerous precedents. <laughs> that, that basically, first of all, you know what it means? Nobody should write anything nice to anybody. <laughs> That's number one. Number two, it means that sending somebody up now isn't, like, for instance, Glenn Beck, is incredibly easy. And that's very, very dangerous. But, but the essence of my column, which, again, you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com about Roy Moore, is that, you know what, at this point, Democrats should be rooting for him to win. That's 100% true. There is, to me, the worst scenario out of all the possibilities right now, unless, unless Republicans can figure out some way to delay this election and then redo the primary and have Roy Moore lose which seems like 
threading an awful difficult needle. Uh, barring that scenario, I think the worst outcome here for Democrats is for Doug Jones to beat him. Because Doug Jones beating him only gets the Democrats one more seat in the Senate. They don't control the Senate. Yes, it lowers the margin of error. Yes, it imperils tax reform. You know, there's some significant things about Jones beating more. But think about the the ramifications if Moore won. If Moore wins, it's a catastrophe for Republicans. It, it will shock the sensibilities of everybody outside of the Deep South. It will destroy the Republican brand even further than it's already been destroyed by Trump. And guess what else happens? Roy Moore now becomes the most important member of the U.S. Senate to the news media every single day. Whatever Roy Moore says or does is now the top story. He becomes more important than Mitch McConnell, the majority leader. For an entire year leading up to a midterm election, you're going to have Roy Moore and Donald Trump be the face of your party. Good fucking luck. Good fucking luck with that. My God, that would be a catastrophe politically. So if I'm a Democratic Party, and I've told my friend, Democrat John Yarmouth from Kentucky, which he thought was funny and probably thought it was somewhat, at least somewhat true. I said, Democrats are nuts for giving any money to Doug Moore. In fact, if I'm the Democratic Party, you know what I'm doing? I'm giving money to help Roy Moore find a better lawyer because his lawyer sucks. It's a nut. That's, that's the best, the best use of democratic party funds. Not that I'm in the business of giving advice to the democratic party, but to me, it's pretty damn obvious that there are no good scenarios here that are likely for the Republican party when it comes to Roy Moore and boy, have evangelical Christians just completely exposed themselves as total frauds. I mean, seriously, it's unbelievable. Evangelical Christians not only jump on the Trump bandwagon, but are now, I think it was one poll indicated 39% or something like that of evangelical Christians are now more likely to vote for Roy Moore after these allegations. And look, I don't know that these allegations are true. They seem true. Part of this feels to me like because Roy Moore is already perceived as a nut, that everything about him is more easily believed. Like, for instance, let's say Mitt Romney decides to run for Senate in Utah, and all of a sudden, you know, some 14- and 16-year-old girls from 40 years ago come forward and say that he sexually harassed them. Well, first of all, they wouldn't. there would be an inherent problem because he's already run for president and no one said anything. But let's just pretend that happens. No one's going to believe that about Mitt Romney, Okay. Nobody, even with the Mormon background, no one's going to believe it. So the burden of proof is going to be much, 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 much higher. And, and, and he'll get, you know, presumption of innocence. Roy Moore is getting no presumption of innocence because he's a nut job. So Alabama will have a very interesting decision to make. At this point, I'd say that Jones is a slight favorite, probably in the 55, 60 percentile to win. 
But more could easily come back, I think. It is more than possible for more to, to still win this, which is just an amazing and damning indictment of Alabama, as well as the Democratic Party. So that was the second uh, column that I wrote. And then the Al Franken situation happened. Now, here I am in this very strange circumstance <clears throat> where I loathe Al Franken. Uh, when I read his book many years ago, Rush Limbaugh is a big fat idiot, I, I seethed. Of course, back then I didn't realize that Rush Limbaugh was a big fat idiot who would sell out to Donald Trump. But I, I, I have disdain for Al Franken. I don't agree with him politically on anything. But for whatever reason, there's something weird about my DNA. If I think somebody's getting unfairly treated, I will defend them regardless. Especially if no one else is willing to do it. Because I think it's important that, one, the truth get out, and two, everybody get a fair shake. I'm, I'm big into fairness. I'm also big into hard luck cases for some reason. My mother always said this about me from a very young age. I don't know why that is, and it's not been necessarily a good thing for my life. But I digress. So this Al Franken story hits, and my BS detector is immediately going off at a very, very high level. These go to 11. I don't know if it was at 11. I don't know if it was at 11, but I'm immediately at an 8. And why am I at an 8? I'm like, okay. First of all, this story has not been vetted at all, all right? This Leanne Tweeden story was posted on KABC, a crap radio station with no ratings that's a conservative talk, somewhat conservative, not as conservative as I used to be, but you know, the, the show she works on, Doug McIntyre's the host. I consider Doug a friend, although he, I might not be friends with him anymore since I've been trashing uh, Leanne Tweeten uh, uh, for the last couple of days. But, um, you know, Doug McIntyre is, you know, a conservative. Doesn't like Trump, by the way. Uh, but Tweeten apparently does like Trump. Anyway, the point here is this was posted on the KABC website as a first-person account of something that allegedly happened 11 years ago with zero vetting. Zero. She didn't go to the New York Times or the Washington Post, or some you know, reasonably proficient uh, news organization say, hey, here's what happened, here's my evidence, why don't you vet this and tell my story? I'll give you an interview. That's the proper way to do this if you want to be taken seriously, at least it used to be. So this thing gets posted on a KABC website. Normally the news media wouldn't give a crap if KABC cured cancer, all right? They, they would not. No one would even notice because no one's listening to the radio station. And so they put this on their website, and I am flabbergasted that this thing ends up taking off. I mean, immediately on Twitter, people are, news organizations are retweeting it, re cutting and pasting the report as if it's news. That's not news. That's that's one person making a very incendiary claim, especially in this environment, that's 11 years old. And by the way, who is this person? Now, she's being portrayed as a news anchor. And when she does interviews about this, she's got her librarian glasses on and she looks, you know, 
like very sophisticated and uh, high class, right? But wait a minute. Hold on. What was she in 2006 when this happened? She was a bombshell swimsuit model. That's what her claim to fame was. And I'm not talking like, you know, unrevealing swimsuits. I'm talking about everything. And eventually she ended up posing in Playboy. Totally nude. She's a former Hooters girl. There's there's nude pictures of her everywhere. So she's somehow getting the credibility of a news anchor. By the way, forget about the swimsuit nude modeling portion. How does a KBC news anchor get credibility to begin with? Are you kidding? What? It's not a news organization. But because the news media liked the story and it was plausibly credible because it's coming from a media outlet and a news person. And I have to tell you, I, I like to think of myself as understanding the media better than anybody. I am absolutely gobsmacked that nobody in the media even mentions the nude posing or the swimsuit modeling or the Playboy cover. I'm thinking, if only for the titillation, wouldn't those be the photographs they used? But no, 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 no. We are living in such a bizarre world environment that using photographs that normally would have been like, crap, let's go with this. This is awesome. It gives us an excuse to put on this babe with big boobs and a bathing suit on our, on our television screen. You know, that's a Fox News special. That's what Bill O'Reilly was an expert at that, at that. Remember? Let's talk about how horrible it is that this sexual thing is going on. By the way, we're going to show you this sexual thing so that your eyeballs can't go off the uh, television screen and our ratings will be good. None of that. And, we're, and it's because the environment is such that I think the news media thinks that that's unfair to the accuser. That somehow you're discrediting the accuser by saying what her career was at the time of the allegation? Seriously? Really? So you're not... And it's that's a, really important. It's not like this happened you know, way in the past and was not having anything to do with why she and Al Franken were interacting. It's exactly why she was on the trip. She was on the USO trip because she was the TNA. I mean, do, have people forgotten what USO trips are? Do, do we not remember? I mean, Bob Hope's entire shtick on his Dozens and dozens of USO trips to our troops overseas. The entire purpose is for him to bring a bombshell Hollywood actress or model of some sort. Raquel Welsh went on a bunch of these trips. You know, the whole point is to give our soldiers something to fantasize about because they haven't seen a decent looking woman in months or maybe years. That's the whole point. So Leanne Tweeden was brought on this trip for the TNA, for the sexual titillation of our troops. And by the way, in the last day, there's been a couple of videos that have come out from 
her interaction, not with Al Franken on this trip, one where she's grabbing the ass of a guitar player on stage, another where she's greeting Robin Williams, kissing him, dry humping him, and wrapping him on the ass. Because that was what she was there for. So it's inherently relevant. My wife was stunned to learn. She's been following the story fairly closely, thinks it's bullcrap. But even, but boy, when she found out about the nude photo, she's like, wow, this is super bullcrap. How is anybody taking this seriously? So you've got someone with a huge incentive as a brand new, she's brand new to talk radio. She's brand new to KBC. She's been there for like seven or eight months. She's new on the job, never done this before. So she has a huge incentive to create publicity for herself and for her show. She even, in one of her first interviews, she, she even promoted her show on KBC. So she's got a huge incentive to create publicity. She's been a guest on Sean Hannity's television show on a couple of occasions. So, and so she's shown conservative tendencies. So therefore, potential political animus towards Al Franken. Roger Stone, the Trump political operative, tweeted many hours before this came out that Al Franken was going to get his. So to me, you've got inherently a situation of a person that does not demand credibility, who has a a potential self-interest and a potential credibility problem, making an allegation that's 11 years old, an allegation that's about as benign as you could possibly get. What's the allegation against Al Franken? That he over-rehearsed a kiss that she agreed to. Now, he asked her, is it okay if I put this in the script for this comedy bit we're going to do on stage? She says yes. He says, let's rehearse it. Her story is he goes in to kiss her. She doesn't want to have that kiss, they mash, he sticks his tongue down her throat, and she's disgusted by it. By the way, even if that story's all true, if, she, if he looked like George Clooney, she probably wouldn't have been disgusted by it. But he looks like Al Franken. So she's, in her story, okay, fine, she's disgusted by it. And the reality is that in retrospect now, assuming that's all true, that seems really horrible. But is it really true? Well, Franken says he doesn't remember it that way. She goes along and does the actual scene on stage. It's clear from other pictures and videos that she's being very sexually playful, as is her job, her role on this trip during the whole situation. She never complains about it to anybody. Franken, two months later, announces he's running for U.S. Senate. Two months later. And she, despite the fact that she's a celebrity, never says a word. And presumably, you know, presumably she was still a conservative back in 2006. So frankly, if this story is true, I'm pissed at her. Why the hell didn't you say anything? We could have prevented Al Franken from being in the U.S. Senate. And by the way, Obamacare wouldn't have passed. So it's your fault, Leanne Tweeden, assuming this story is true. But I question if it's really true. I did so on HNL, HLN, 
H and L is a totally different network. <laughs> Headline News Network, which you can check out at freespeechbroadcasting.com. I said, we've lost our minds. I can't believe liberals have fallen for this. And, of course, Franken can't defend himself because he's a PC pussy liberal. So he has to accept everything that a woman says, even a woman with all the credibility issues that Leanne Tweeden has, which is kind of funny, which will get me to my next column in a second. But just to, to reiterate this, so... She doesn't say anything, despite the fact that she supposedly has photographic proof of this. Now, here's where I get really uh, very suspicious. Because the photograph, see, everyone is using the photograph of him posing and leering over her and appearing to be about to grope her boobs over a flak vest, by the way. She's wearing a flak jacket and a rather heavy jacket underneath that. So it's not like, you know, I'm not defending it, but to me, he's joking. That's why he's posing. He's hovering. I don't think he's even touching her. She, she's asleep. She has no idea what's going on. If That's even presuming she really is asleep. Some people have speculated that that was actually part of the joke. But here's where the picture bothers me. People are using that photograph to as the prism through which they are interpreting her kiss story. You must separate them completely. Because if the photo is a joke, a total joke, then it totally changes the context of the kiss. And there's other problems, by the way. She says that the photograph happened on the way home after the kiss episode, and that therefore somehow this shows animus on Franken's part. Well, and I can't prove this, but I've seen online some fairly compelling evidence that that's not consistent with the the digital imprinting on the photo. That there's some evidence that this photo was actually taken on the way there, not on the way back, which would obviously contradict her story and raise questions. And I'm not an expert on how this works, but as a layperson, and maybe someone can email me about this, I'm certainly open-minded, seems weird that she's wearing the flak jacket on the way home. Why do you need the flak jacket on the way home? Don't you need the flak jacket when you're heading towards a war zone? Why do you need the flak jacket and the helmet on the way home? Because that's her story, that this is on the way home. That doesn't seem to make sense to me. So what I think has happened here, here's what I think happened. I think the most logical scenario is that she's looking around, Seeing all of this, and by the way, maybe something happened with the kiss. It's possible something, she didn't like it. I, I think it's probably way overblown. Again, it's a rehearsed kiss. This is not an allegation of, of rape. This is a, the allegation is of an overly rehearsed kiss, okay, that she ended up going through with on stage. But she has this photograph, and maybe she sends it to Roger Stone or somebody else. I mean, she has connections to the Hannity show. In the midst of this Harvey Weinstein hysteria that you know was induced after Harvey Weinstein, and obviously, someone who's out to get Al Franken, or wants to distract from a Republican getting destroyed, like Roy Moore, would look at that photo and go, "Oh wow, that's great! You got anything that can help us augment this?" And then she goes back and goes, "Well, actually, while we're on that trip." He did try to kiss me during rehearsals, and I didn't like it. Really? 
Really? Oh, okay. Well, now we got something. Now we can connect those two. See, I, and I, I don't, I do not believe that that photograph and the kiss are connected. I do not believe it. And I think that Franken is forced to apologize because in his world, in the liberal world, the, the woman now must be believed no matter what. No matter what her history is, no matter if her story doesn't make sense, no matter if it's contradicted by her own actions or videos of her or there's a problem with the photograph, it doesn't matter. We're now living in a world where the accuser is always, always, always right, at least in the liberal PC world. So Franken gets screwed by his inability to attack. So that actually leads me to my last column which I urge you to check out at freespeechbroadcasting.com. Because to me, this is the... People are telling me, some of the best people, in fact, are telling me that this is the smartest, funniest thing that they've ever seen written on the subject. At least that's what Donald Trump might say. Believe me. (laughs) The, The column is about how Donald Trump would have responded if he had faced the Leanne Tweeden allegations. Because I alluded to this on the HLN television appearance where I got to give it to Donald Trump. I have disdain for the guy, but at least he's smart enough to fight back. And when he fights back, he doesn't leave anything in the holster. There's no, no, there are no bullets left in the chamber. He goes and he fires everything he has because he doesn't care. And he's got he, to his people, he's going to show them how big his balls are. And he's not going to back down. He's never going to apologize because to apologize in this day and age is to admit guilt. And as soon as you admit guilt, now you have no defense because you've admitted it. I've seen this from lots and lots of people on Twitter and Facebook. Well, John, why are you defending Frank? And he admitted it. No, he didn't. He, he, he did a knee-jerk apology, said he didn't remember the kiss that way, but he's forced to do that because he's a pussy liberal in a PC world. Well, read what I wrote about how Trump would have responded. Because <laughs> it would have been totally different. It would have been more like, are you kidding me? She asked to kiss me. It was a great kiss on my part. Everyone loves the Trump lips. But, frankly, I was a little disappointed. You know, she's good looking. Not a 10. She's no Melania. She's not a 10. You know, a solid 9, probably. Have you seen her nude, by the way? Nice landing strip. Google her. Really good stuff. But now that she's in radio, she's no more than a solid eight. Believe me. Yeah, I I didn't need to kiss her. She asked me. And boy, anybody that kisses Trump, it's pretty awesome. Believe me. I mean, (laughs) then as far as the photo is concerned, he would have been saying, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I'm not touching her. I'm hovering over her. It's a posed photograph. Everyone said it was the funniest photograph the USO ever took in their history. People are still talking about how funny that photograph is. And, and look, she's wearing a flak jacket, a military flak jacket. By the way, I love the military. Nobody loves the military like Donald Trump. Nobody does. I love the military so much. But she's wearing a flak jacket and another jacket underneath that. I have grabbed a lot of boobs, ladies and gentlemen. Believe me. But never over a flak jacket and a, another jacket. There's no big thrill in that for Donald Trump. Why? Why would I do that? Believe me. And then as far as her credibility is concerned, have you seen her in Playboy? She was a Hooters girl. By the way, in Playboy, she was in the Christmas edition. Merry Christmas, by the way, everyone. You're allowed to say that now. 
that I'm president. Now that Trump's president, you're welcome. You can say Merry Christmas again. But check out that Christmas edition of Playboy. She's totally nude. She's been a, a hostess of a, of a poker TV show, got no ratings. Now she's in radio. The, the station she's on, KABC, gets no ratings. That guy she's hosting on, I don't know his name. He's a loser with no ratings. You know, by the way, did you know that a friend of Hillary Clinton tweeted just before her story came out that this was coming down the pike? This is all a political hit job. Fake news. Fake news. By the way, somebody ought to lock Hillary up. Believe me. I mean, that, that's basically the way Trump would have responded. And you know what? It would have worked. It would have worked with his cult for sure. And this thing, you know, would have been a dead story. I don't know how Franken is going to end up, you know, being treated here. Some people are talking about him being forced to resign or rebuked by the Senate. Are, what? What? It's just flat out ridiculous. I, we are living in bizarro world times, folks. Bizarro world. Anyway, the last thing I want to talk about is this Bill Clinton revisionism. Speaking of sex abuse, it is really infuriating. And I, uh, I refer to this on the HLN TV appearance. It is really infuriating. That liberals are now, because he's outlived his usefulness, are now throwing Bill Clinton under the bus. Oh, yeah, by the way, Republicans were right 19 years ago when we said Bill Clinton should have either resigned or been forced from office. Gee, thanks a lot, people. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. That's uh, too late by, like, 19 years. That would have been really good information to have 19 years ago. But somehow, I mean, to me, this exposes what utter frauds liberals are. Of course, now conservatives that jumped on the Trump train are frauds, too. Everyone's a fraud. But the instant, the instant that the Clintons are no longer useful, now all of a sudden, because they need to get their credibility back on this issue of sex abuse, now they're saying, you know what? We made a mistake 19 years ago. This wasn't something that just happened one day. This was Day after day, week after week, month after month, you put everything. Liberals put everything, all their eggs in this basket. The feminists put their toes up in the air for Bill Clinton and said, come get me, Bill. I'm going to give up everything to defend you. And it worked. And we've all suffered because of it. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. Bill Clinton not resigning like he should have, or at least being removed from office because he wouldn't resign, has had massive implications for our society and for our politics. I believe that truth-telling has become far less valued. Lying has become far, far less verboten because of Bill Clinton. It is far more acceptable now to lie. After all, the president, bald-faced, lied to all of us and got away with it, with no repercussions, really, other than a small impeachment mark on his history, which until recently liberals weren't even accepting is real. Now I guess I guess the, the one benefit of this is we're allowed to now put that in the first page or the first paragraph of his biography. Right? I'm assuming. Although I guess when he dies we won't be able to talk about it again because that'll be rude. But in his obituary that'll make at least the first paragraph that he was impeached. Not for having sex with an intern which we're now told is inherently rape because of the power difference and should have been perceived that way at the time, but because of obstruction of justice and perjury to a grand jury. And liberals gave up all, all of their credibility to defend him. And they can't get it back now. That's bullshit.
That does it for uh, hour number one of uh, the World According to Zig podcast. Uh, make sure you have a happy Thanksgiving, or as my uh, five-year-old daughter Grace calls it, the beginning of Christmas when she's allowed to start watching Christmas shows. So I, I said, so are you looking forward to Thanksgiving? Yeah. I said, why? Well, because then I can watch all the Christmas shows. <laughs> so that's what Thanksgiving is all about for my five-year-old daughter, which, by the way, we, we might talk to her on next week's uh, program uh, over the Thanksgiving uh, holiday weekend. But have a great Thanksgiving. And make sure three things, not just two. Three, got to listen to hour number two with Gerald Posner about the JFK assassination and hour number three with Jerry Sandusky's college roommate about a bombshell development with regard to one of the most important facts in the entire Penn State Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky case. So that's number one. Number two, make sure you share all of these uh, podcasts via Twitter, Facebook, or word of mouth. And number three, do yourself a favor. If you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should, oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, one, two, one, two.